0: This series that we're beginning this weekend is really about a lot of issues, a lot of things that we struggle with in our own personalities. And you know what? We all grew up in different homes and in different environments. We've had different influences and we're wired differently. And so sometimes what we do is we tend to say, well, that's just the way I am. That's just the way I was raised. I'll never change. I just want to say to you as a follower, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, one of the things that God will do if you belong to Him is He won't let you remain to be that same old person. He's going to change you and create you into a new person. And that may take a while. It may take weeks, months, years. But He's going to, he's going to continually challenge you in certain areas. And so we're we're looking at some of those personality quirks, if you want to call them that. And so this weekend we want to look at this this area of anger, because I think there's a lot of misunderstanding in anger, and, and there's a lot of anger out there. In fact, 45 percent of Americans regularly regularly lose their te- their temper at work. 45 percent. That's almost half the people that go to work lose their temper at work. Uh, Nearly two-thirds of U.S. adolescents have experienced an anger attack that involved threatening violence, destroying property, or engaging in violence towards others. Okay, so this isn't just a, a, an adult problem. It's a, an adolescent problem. The, the, the statistics say that one in, four driver, one in four drivers admit to committing acts of road rage. Now, that's only one in four that admit it. Okay? Okay. Now you say, well, I'm not a road rage person. All right? Well, here, here's a road rage quiz. All right? Do you regularly drive over the speed limit and try to beat red lights because you're in a hurry? Do you tailgate or flash your headlights at a driver in front of you that you believe is driving too slowly? Maybe I should ask if you did that tonight. I don't uh, okay, number three, do you honk the horn often? And I don't mean honk the horn saying, hey, Jim, hey, Mary. It's like, not that, okay? <laughs> do you ever use obscene gestures or otherwise communicate angrily to another driver? Okay, <laughs> if you do this stuff, you, you have had issues with road rage. And you know what? I'll raise my hand because I'm in that club, and and I'll admit it because if I if if uh, if I don't admit it now, my wife will certainly throw me under the bus. You know, there's real road rage, right? Because she sees it. So there are times where I just see her going, oh, she just throws her head like, not again. You know. So here's what we want to do. We want to talk about the truth about anger. And there's some things about anger that you may not understand. And the first one is something that I'm sure that many of you don't understand. It's not a sin to get angry. Let me say that one more time so you hear it. It's not a sin to get angry. Uh, let, let me prove that point to you for a moment. Uh, We we sometimes think that it's a sin to get angry. It's not a sin to get angry. Notice what Ephesians 4, verse 26 says. It says to be angry. (laughs) Okay? Be angry, and it says, but do do not sin and do not let sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. So here's Paul saying, be angry, but don't let it lead to sin. Now that's different. The Apostle Paul is... Conceding that we will get angry So getting angry is not a sin But our anger can lead us to sin if we're not careful So that's a fine balance that we need to talk about Now, all of us get angry And if, angry, if, if getting angry is a sin, then Jesus sinned And we know the Bible says that Jesus was the spotless Lamb of God And a spotless Lamb in the Old Testament had to be perfect It had to be without blemish, without any problem. And that's why Jesus, it says in the Bible, He who knew no sin became sin for us. So Jesus never sinned. And so this is what it says in John 11. You know, there's a couple of times in Jesus' life where there's um, a deep, real emotion. I mean, anger and sadness that Jesus experiences. And He shows it. Uh, You know, when He went into the temple and He overturned the uh, the, the tables in the temple. What do you think? He was smiling, saying, Oh, sorry I bumped your table over. No, he was angry. He was upset. Okay? Uh, You know, he had a a number of times where he had emotional uh, uh, moments of anger. Uh, Let me read this one here because the situation here is his good friend Lazarus has died. And now he's been requested by the sisters to come quickly before Lazarus dies. And the sisters make the request. And Jesus... Waits on purpose because he wants Lazarus to die because he wants to perform a miracle and raise Lazarus from the dead. And so this is all part of his plan. And so then he finally go, and this is a very dangerous place for him to go. His life is on the line, and so he finally goes there. One of the disciples says, "Well, we may as well go and die," you know. And so he gets there, and and first one of the sisters comes out. She says, "You know, Lord, if you had been here, my son, my my brother would not have died." And this was one of Jesus' best friends. He was a close friend to his. And this is the passage, uh, verse thirty three. When Jesus saw her weeping, and he saw the other people wailing with her, a deep anger welled up within him. So some translations try to soften that. Said he was he groaned within himself. He was no, he got angry. He was angry. A deep anger welled up within him, and he was deeply troubled. And he says, "Where have you put him?" They they. Uh, uh, he asked them, and they told him, Lord, come and see. And and then it says Jesus wept. So here he has a moment of real anger, and then he has a moment of real sadness. So the question is, and I don't really want to spend a lot of time getting into this, but um, Jesus experienced deep anger welling up with him, and he was deeply troubled. And The question is, what was he angry about? Was he angry because, you know, Mary and Martha had said, Lord, if you had been here, you know, but you know, you weren't, so it happened. Or is he angry because he sees the, the professional mourners along with his sisters and he's going, This is just a, a charade. You know, I mean, this is, this is, this. I think what's going on here is, it's real interesting, and I, I, I haven't had a r- lot of time to, to, to think through this, but I think what's going on here, Mike, is that what's going on here is Jesus is looking at people who have no hope. And he showed them. He, he's sharing who he is and why he's come. That he's going to overcome. You know, three days, and then I will be lifted up. I mean, I'll be lifted up, and then three days later, I'll be, You know, he's talking about the resurrection, and so he's, these are his closest friends, and they don't get the resurrection. They don't get who he is, and I think it. I think he was angry about it. I think he got upset, and and here's the thing. You love your kids, don't you? Hopefully. Or if you're a kid, I hope you think your parents love you. Sometimes your parents get angry with you, but they still love you. And I think what's going on here is this balance between love and anger. And I think Jesus is struggling. I mean, he obviously is showing anger, but then he's showing love because he's weeping with them. So there's this tension, and, and sometimes we we're going to get to that in a moment, but I think what's going on here is that Jesus is disappointed with his friends, that they don't trust Him. It troubles Him to the point of anger, but He lo- still loves them. He loves them. Uh, even, you know, the Bible says that He loves the world, even though the world, people in the world, but ultimately we're going to execute Him, right? So there's that love tension. Uh, and what does He say on the cross? One of His last phrases, Lord, forgive them, but they don't know what they're doing. So, so there's that tension, and that's the tension of God, of that love and anger that's kind of tied together. And we'll talk more about that in a moment. But Jesus in this, this event showed some of His most raw emotions. I, I mentioned the temple and the garden is another one. But here's the point. He never sinned. Jesus never sinned. See, He got angry about the right things, but he always He always responds, and He always responded appropriately. So that's the first thing, that that getting angry or being angry is not a sin. It can lead to sin, but it's not a sin. The emotion itself is not a sin. What the emotion, what we allow the emotion to do is, is another thing. And that leads us to the second point, that our feelings don't need to control us. You know, we may not always be in control of our feelings, but we can always control our response. Dallas Willard, the theologian, said this. He says, anger is a feeling, and as such, it's automatic. We can't stop it from occurring. But why, when the initial feeling passes, do we uh, do so many of us choose to remain angry? At the heart of anger is our sense of self-righteousness or our wounded self. And that's true, and we'll get to that in a moment. This is what the writer of Proverbs says. You, you, ever, you ever hear that phrase, flying off the handle? You know, it flies off the handle. You know where you, you know where we got that, right? It's where you're using a pick or you're using an axe or something. And have you ever done that where you've used it and you feel the head is a little loose on it? You say, ah, maybe I should fix that. And you go, nah, I don't really want to fix it. I just want to keep going. And you go that, and all of a sudden the handle's really light and there's, like, not a head on it. And you go, boy, that could be a problem for someone or something, you know? I mean, if that flies off, it, it could do a lot of damage, right? It could... It could, it could, it could it could maim, it could destroy, it could, it could kill, you know? And this is what the writer of Proverbs says. It says, a hot-tempered man stirs up strife, but he who is slow to anger quiets contention. So you could fly off the handle. Some of you have, maybe in the last week or two. And probably that didn't work out real well. See, the to fail the failure to manage our anger is a major cause of conflict, not only in our personal lives, but in our professional lives. Some, some people have... Maybe you're one of them. You've been fired because you have outbursts of anger. And you have just uh, found it very difficult. And the Bible says very clearly in Ephesians, let me repeat it, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down in your anger. See, we need to be ca- careful because... Anger can easily lead to sin. and one of the, you know maybe a couple of the questions you ought to ask is, why are you angry? Now I had this happen a number of times in my life, and maybe you have too. there I was raised in a kind of an angry house when when we got mad, we got angry with each other and we said and did things that were inappropriate. I mean' it's just the way I was raised it doesn't excuse behavior it's just it is what it is. But you know um, one of the things that I've learned about anger in being raised in a home where, where you have those, those flare-ups and you have those, those things going on is you have to look at what is going on be beneath the surface. I've found a number of times that <laughs> where something happens on the way home from maybe here or wherever I am. And maybe it's a road thing. Maybe it's not road rage on my part, but it's road rage on somebody else's part. That does happen to me sometimes. Because um, I drive slowly. <laughs> but, but, so I get upset, right? So I walk in, the, or something happened during the day that I'm upset about, right? And, and, and I go home and I'm short with people. You know, I'm short with Carol, I'm short with the boys. <laughs> and they're going, um, I didn't do anything, so why are you mad at me? And it's like, I'm not mad at you. I'm mad about this, but I brought my anger home with me. And now I'm... See, sometimes our anger is poured out on people and it has nothing to do with them. Sometimes we have to get behind the emotion and say, what is causing this? Why am I really angry? Um, sin usually shows up not in the emotions, but in the attitudes and the the actions that follow the emotions. Um, you react with harsh words to people. You have a... Con- uh, a condemning attitude. You have an accusatory uh, attitude towards people. You belittle them, berate them. Or, you know, here's another thing that I find that a lot of people do is they, they are upset by somebody or what they say and what they do is they immediately assess motives. They, in other words, they say or do something to you and you immediately assess why they did it. Because you can read their minds. You understand why they did it. Now, you may be right sometimes, but you, I find that many people assess not only they did this, but they assess the motive behind it. And, you know, that's that doesn't lead to anything good. How do we know if our anger is moving in the wrong direction? Here's a test. Here's a test. Do you have feelings of animosity or hatred? Because if you do, then you've got a root of bitterness that's beginning. And the Bible says do not allow that root of bitterness to come in and you know if i were to mention a person's name in your life would you would you immediately have feelings of animosity and hatred towards them or wrath you have uncontrolled outbursts and explosions you know you you, you know the person at work or you know the person in your family and you go they're going to blow you know <laughs> it's just a matter of time my dad was that way there were times i just knew don't go near him because he is like gunpowder ready to go off and you did not want to be around when that happened or slander speaking negatively or hurtful words about others that that you know this is how anger becomes turns into sin or malice harboring ill will towards others and a desire to harm them it's pretty clear that if you are contemplating ways to kill somebody you've got anger issues okay that that you in case you weren't sure about that you might want to clean off the blackboard and the, the sketches you have of how you're going to demise somebody's demise. You might want to do that because that is anger gone wrong, okay? I'm going to be real clear tonight. All right. Here's one that I kind of hit on a little bit. Anger and love are not opposites. Anger and It's not a sin to get angry, but anger and love are not opposites. I like what Becky Pippert said. She says, think how we feel when we see somebody we love ravaged by unwise actions or relationships. Do we respond with benign tolerance as we might towards strangers? Far from it. Anger isn't the opposite of love. Hate is. And the final form of hate is indifference. What she's essentially saying here is that when somebody close to you that you love is being threatened or being abused, you ought to get angry about it. Right? Right? You shouldn't say, Well, it's my son or my daughter, but well, you know, who cares? You know, I mean that's that's hate, you know. That's anger. Yeah. So so the bottom line, the opposite of love is is indifference to saying, I don't care. You know, there's a lot of abuse that's going on in the world. According to the FBI, there's more than three hundred thousand children involved in slave trafficking industry in the United States. Three hundred thousand people. That ought to make you sad. But it all make you angry. You ought to get angry about that. You ought to see the evil for what it is and say, that needs to stop. Indifference is the show of not loving. Anger is the show that you care. 27 million people around the world live as slaves today. 27 million people around the world today are slaves human slaves. Some of them, and and the statistics of the the American, are sex slaves. That ought to make you angry. You know, Tim Keller writes this. He says, God's wrath is not a cranky explosion, but but His settled opposition to the cancer, which is eating out the inside of the human race that He loves with His whole being. And what Keller is saying, I think, is what Jesus felt when He was at the tomb. He has seen what is going on in the human heart. He has seen the rot and decay of sin. And he's angry about it. It upsets him greatly. But that doesn't mean he doesn't love. In fact, he loved it so much that he sent his Son, and Jesus loved us so much that he willingly took the rot so that we could be set free, so that we could be set free from it. There are some things you should care enough about to get angry. The opposite of love is not anger, it's not hate, it's indifference. Let me give you one last, or a couple more. You know, some people, you look at them and you say, well, <clears throat> they don't look or sound angry, so I guess they don't have anger issues. <laughs> Let me tell you a story about Tony. Tony uh, got up one day. It was 1974. It was December 30th. He got into his car. He drove to the high school. He, it was school was out. He went up to the student council office. He couldn't get in the door, so he basically shot the door open. The shooting sounded like an explosion, so some of the, the staff that were kind of working on the classrooms and cleaning. The janitorial staff came up to notice it. And uh, he shot one of them and killed three people. He wounded 11 others. It was one of the first high school shootings in America. And um, his plan was to go to the student council room the day that school ended so that he... And this school, if you could picture it, it's just just a, uh, a square building with a big front yard, a big front with sidewalks going up. And Tony was on the rifle team. And his plan was that as kids left from school for Christmas break, he was going to kill as many people as possible. But he chickened out. And so he finally got up the nerve on December 30th, and he killed three people, and he wounded 11 others. The reason I tell you that story is Tony was a friend of mine. I wasn't a very good friend of to Tony. My mom was our Cub Scout leader. Tony was in my homeroom along with my other friends. We used to hang out before class began. And... Uh, I noticed in retrospect that as he was picked on or jokes were told and things, how he handled himself, he never seemed to get angry, but you could see there was something beneath the surface. Um, He ended up taking his life and he hung himself in a jail cell. I just want to tell you that I wasn't a believer at that time. I don't know if it would have made a huge difference. I was a kid. I was a junior in high school. Actually, I was a senior in high school. He would have been one of our top graduates. He was in the top ten of our academically. He was very smart. And, um, but as I look back, I realize this is a person who, from the surface, bottled up his anger. And one day, he let it out. And he destroyed a lot of people and a lot of lives that day. I just want to say to you, if you're bottling up anger, you are just setting yourself up for a day where you're going to explode. And maybe that's how you go with anger. You, you bottle it up until you have to let it go, and then you let it go. But you, the thing is, you let it go on the people that matter to you. You let it go at work where... It just creates a distance between you and your, your your coworkers. Or you let it go on your family, and your family just says, okay, he's gonna blow, I gotta get out of here. So let's talk about the cure for anger. Okay? Let's talk about the cure, because there is a cure. Scripture is very practical and it's very helpful. The first thing is We need to lengthen our fuse. And how do we do that? We do that by closing our mouth and opening our ears. James 1 says this in verse 19. Understand this, my dear brothers and sisters. You must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. Human anger does not produce the righteousness God desires. So James is addressing emotionally charged situations. And he's saying, and that's exactly what we need to hear because that's when we need to think about what we're doing and what we're saying. And he says this. He says, shut your mouth, open your ears, and lengthen your fuse. In the heat of the moment, you can easily change... Here's the thing. When you're in the heat of the moment, you can't change your temperament. (laughs) Okay? Okay? You can't easily change your childhood. And, and, but you can do this. You can choose your response. You can do that. And by the way, you have to plan ahead. You can't, th- this isn't just going to show up the next time you get angry. You have to plan ahead. You have to get a game plan. It's almost like when you do a drill, like a pitching drill or a running drill or a basketball drill. You have to do it over and over and over. You have to prepare for this. If you, and, and here's the other thing, too. You cannot. I can teach you and, and say, okay, close your mouth, open your ears, and lengthen your fuse. And you say, that's good. I'll remember that. And, and maybe I'll memorize James, and that's good. But I just want to tell you something. Without the power of the Holy Spirit within you, you're not going to be able to do this. You're not going to be able to respond that way. So the best protection you have is to be filled and controlled by the Holy Spirit. And The Bible says that when we come to Christ, we get the gift, we get the power of the Holy Spirit within us. Now, we can either allow the Spirit to guide us and direct us, or we can put a a straight arm to Him. if you have the Holy Spirit, in other words, what I'm telling you to do is impossible on your own, but it is possible with the help of the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit gives us the ability and the desire to do what God wants us to do. So if you do, if you don't want to blow it when you get angry, and know how to control it. You have to have the Holy Spirit on your side helping you. So how do you know if you are under the influence of the Holy Spirit? Everybody knows what it's on. Un- I don't know what it's like, but I mean, everybody knows what it's like to be under the influence of alcohol or under the influence of drugs. But you you know what it... You've seen uh, evidences of it in somebody you know. And what you know... When you're under the influence of alcohol or a drug, what does it do? It slows your reaction. It it clouds your judgment. Sometimes people who are really nice people turn into real idiots, right? And so, this is this is what under the influence of alcohol does. And what the writer uh, Paul says in Ephesians, he says, don't be under the influence of wine. And now he's not really talking about drinking there. He's 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 talking about a more important principle. He's saying being under the influence of the Holy Spirit. Now what does that look like? I'm going to read a passage and this is going to show you without a doubt that at the moment if you see this in your life, you will know at that moment you are not under the influence of the Holy Spirit. Here's what it says. Notice what it says Galatians chapter 5 verse 16. So I say let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us the desires that are the opposite of the sinful nature. See why you have to have the Holy Spirit helping Because He gives you the desire. Sometimes you're angry and you don't want to do the right thing. You're angry, right? But the Spirit will overrule you. at These two forces are constantly fighting each other, so you are not free to carry out your own good intentions. When you follow the desires of the sinful nature, the results will be very clear. Let me read these. In other words, what Paul is saying here is when you're not under the influence of the Holy Spirit, this is what you'll see. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger... Selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, and wild parties, and other sins like these. Okay, so Paul says, you see this going on in your life, you'll know at that moment you are not under the influence of the Holy Spirit. But he says, here's how you know if you are under the influence of the Holy Spirit. And by the way, if if you if you say, you know what, this has been true of my life, this this is this this has happened in my life recently. Here's what you need to do. You need to get on your knees before God and you say, God, I have sinned against you and I have quenched, I have grieved the Holy Spirit. I have said to the Holy Spirit, get out. Now, the Holy Spirit never leaves you. But it's like driving. You know, the whole driver ed car and the Holy Spirit is is there and when you put your hands on the wheel and you take over and you drive in the flesh and you take over your life, you base the Holy Spirit does this. Okay. <laughs> all right. And all these things come out. Okay. And if you've done that, you've sinned. And what you need to do is you need to take your hands off the wheel, you need to look at the Holy Spirit, and you need to confess your sin to God and say, God, I've sinned against you, and I want your Holy Spirit to take over the driver's wheel of my life because I'm not doing a very good job with it. And he will come in, and he will guide you. Now, you may have to do this on a regular basis, okay? Sin quenches the Holy Spirit. Now, he says this in, in chapter same chapter, verse 22. This is how you know if you're under the influence of the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self control. There is no law against these things. You see the difference? It's all the difference in the world. What I'm telling you to do, you can't do it on your own. Here's the next thing uh, in dealing with anger. Deal with your anger appropriately. Either let it go or clear the air. And I'm going to have to move here a little bit. The Bible says in Ephesians 4.31, get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. There are, Sometimes it's best when you're upset, you're really upset in a situation, you call a timeout. I've said to couples, when you're in the middle of an argument, you're about ready to say or do something, call a timeout. Separate. You know, do something. Don't say... and. and but here's the, the idea that separate with the idea that you're going to come back with, with calmer. You know, you're, you're going to calm yourself down. You're going to see, it, what, what is my role in this? What do I have to do? You're going to ask God to give you help if you're in the wrong place. And then you come back together. So sometimes you may need to walk away, but you have to come back and resolve the tension. Just burying the tension or just burying the problem doesn't solve it. And some of you were raised in homes where all they did was you kept burying stuff. <laughs> so there's all this stuff, and the problems are getting higher and higher. And you know, if you ever walked into a family dynamic where there's a lot of like uh, a lot of tension around, you know, and it, and you go, okay, there's been a lot of conflict buried in this family, and you marry somebody like that, and and you you you, you know, and then you're raised in a home where you just kind of have it out. You clear the air. Maybe it goes well sometimes and sometimes it doesn't, but it's different ways of dealing with conflict. And then you come together with a person who buries their conflict. Oh, arguments. Yeah. It's like you can't have one because this person just is all, oh, I, I, you know, they just kind of, it's like throwing snowballs at a little kid. They're just going to go like this, you know. You don't, I, by the way, I don't throw snowballs at little kids. <laughs> Here, here's what I found. Some of, us, and it's kind of a continuum. Some of us are in the let it go school, right? We let it go, let it go, let it go, right? And some of us are clear the air. We're part of the clear the air school. We've got to clear the air, clear the air, clear the air. And clear the air means arguing it out. Letting it go means just drop it. Now I just want to say to you, you have to in a relationship. You have to do both. And my guess is if you're the the clear-the-air person, there's times where you maybe just need to let it go. Right? And if you're some of those let-it-go people and you let it go all the time, maybe sometimes you need to man up or woman up and you need to clear the air. Right? Because sometimes you have to do that. But this is conflict. This is how you have to deal with it. Here's the, the, the next thing. Take control of your actions. The Bible says in Proverbs 28:13, "...people who conceal their sins will not prosper, but if they confess and turn from them, they will receive mercy." Galatians uh, 6 says this, "...pay careful attention to your own work, for then you will get satisfaction for a job well done and you won't need to compare yourselves to anyone else." But then he says this, "...for we are each responsible for our own conduct." We, maybe some of you need to stop playing the victim. It's everybody else's fault. It's everybody else. They pick on me. They say these things, and I just want to say to you that some of you love to be a victim, and some of you have been victimized. There's no question about it. But there comes a point where you say, Are, "Am I going to continually label myself as a victim?" You see, here's the thing. As I read the Bible, Jesus became the victim so you could become the victor. Right? He became the ultimate victim. He was the one without sin. He, and listen, there's a point where you have to say, I'm going to admit it, I'm going to confess my sins, and, and, and then I'm going to find the joy. John says this. He says, well, let me read it to you. First John 1. He says, If we claim we have no sin, we're only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. But if we confess our sins to Him... He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I'm trying to cover a lot of stuff tonight, as you may know. I'm trying to cover the whole area of anger and give you, you know, I'm hoping, throwing like spaghetti up against the wall. And I'm hoping that you'll grab one of those and say, that's the piece I need, right there. That's the piece I need. Because I know some of you, this isn't going Here's the last thing. Let God even the score. Romans says this Dear friends, never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. For the Scripture says, I will take revenge. I will pay them back, says the Lord. If your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. In doing this, you will heap coals of shame on their heads. Here's what I found. I found that when we take anger upon ourselves and we we have bitterness and we seek revenge on other people, what we have done is we've just rented a room to the devil. We've just given our heart over to the devil. We've allowed him to have a... Listen, it's not the devil, but we've given our, our heart to the powers of darkness. And we've said, "It's I'm going to feel bitter. I'm going to feel angry towards this person. And all you're doing is you're giving rent to the power of darkness. That's what you're doing. You, and you're not even charging them rent. They're living there for free, right? You're living, you're letting them, you're letting evil in your heart and it's driving you down, it's tearing you apart. it's not doing anything good. I want you to kick the freeloader out. If you're bitter towards somebody, you've allowed that bitterness, that anger, that, that darkness to dwell in your heart. The Bible says, "Be angry, but do not sin, do not let the sun go down in your anger, and give no opportunity to the devil. If you're walking around angry about things, you're renting right the room. Kick them out. Right? Don't let them live there for free. All right, I said that was the last point, but this is one, and I think this is the most important. I don't really have time to go in it. It's Matthew 18. You can write this verse down, and it's verses 23 to 28. And It's just a parable that Jesus talked about. And let me just quickly tell you about the parable. So the parable goes like this: Jesus says, "You know, there's this this uh, king, and he decided it was time for all the people that owed him to come in and pay their debts. And so he called one of his uh, <coughs> accounts." In and the man came before the king and he pled for mercy. I don't have the money. Would would you have mercy on me? And the king basically said, okay, uh, not only will I give you more time, I'll just forgive your debt. Your, your debt is gone. So you you came in and you owe me this much money, but I'll tell you what, I'm going to forgive you all your debt. You can walk out. You have no debt. Okay? Now Now, if that was you and you were in debt, let's just say it's a reasonable amount of money. Let's say you're in debt. $500,000. Half a million dollars. You're in you say, "Well, I am." <laughs> okay. Well, uh, okay. Yeah. Sorry about that. <laughs> but let's just say that you're you're in debt like half a million dollars. And all of a sudden the person is holding holding the ticket for that debt says, "Not only do you not have to pay me. I know you're behind. Not only do you have to pay me, but I'm going to forgive the debt completely." Would you walk out and say, "Wow." It feels so good not to be in debt anymore. It feels so good. And then you remember that somebody owes you a buck. You, in fact, you remember there's ten people out there that owe you a buck. And so you call them up say, Hey, Bob, you owe me a buck. You need to pay up now, Today. Okay, Because that's essentially what the the, the parable is about. And, and, And the point of the parable that Jesus is saying is, if you never understand the incredible debt that you had that was completely forgiven of you, and you go out and you say, I'm going to strangle you for the penny that you owe me in comparison to the huge debt that I had that was just forgiven, you don't understand forgiveness. And what I'm telling you is this. Until you begin to grasp your own forgiveness and your own overwhelming debt, you will never come to a place or have the ability to forgive others who, in comparison to the debt you had with God that Jesus settled on the cross, you, your de- their debt to you is minuscule. It's tiny. It's, it's not even worth mentioning. See, that's where you get the power. You get the power when you look to the cross and you realize that Jesus was maligned and mistreated and abused and tortured and innocent, completely innocent. And He did it for you. He did it because He saw sin and it made Him angry. But He did it because of you, because He saw you and He loved you. And He forgave you all of that. And so now as we go out... You show how much you're forgiven by how you forgive others. Anger just means I'm not willing to forgive them because they did something and I was wrong. I was, I was innocent. I was, it wasn't right. It was, it was not true. And Jesus would say, been there, done that. Forgiveness comes when you understand how much you've been forgiven. The cure for anger is understanding how much you've been forgiven. When you begin to grasp that, you'll find forgiving people much easier. May God help us to deal with the anger issues that we have in our own personal lives. You can look at other people and say, yeah, they're hotheads, but it doesn't really matter. What's going on in your life? Who are you running space out to? Who are you bitter towards who are you angry towards are you walking in the spirit or are you walking in the flesh maybe that's part of the problem i don't know what it is but i hope that something from this message something from the word of god will take you to a place where over the next few weeks the next few months the next few years god will begin to do a work in your heart where people will say you don't blow up like you used to you seem a lot calmer your doctor is going to say, you know, your blood pressure is better. What have you been doing? You've been exercising? You go, no, not. <laughs> but you're not as angry. May God help us to find the forgiveness and understand that, because that, to me, is the key to conquering our anger. When we understand we're forgiven, are much more likely to forgive others. Would you stand with me? Let's pray. Father, this is the key. The key is given to us by Jesus and uh, not only does he give us the concept and why we should forgive and how we've been forgiven but he gives his spirit the helper who will help us give us the ability and the desire so father we have been we have been handsomely equipped to overcome maybe our environment maybe how we're wired I don't know and and I know there's some other things going on physiologically. Father, I get all that. But I know that You can change us. And I know that You want to change us. And I know that You want us to get angry about things, but not allow our anger lead us to sin. So, Father, I pray that You would help us to become people who are not known for our anger, our outbursts, our snide comments, our judgmental attitudes, but we're known as people who forgive. People who are flawed, but people who are forgiven. And we begin to understand and grasp the depth of our forgiveness. Help us, Father, because only you can do that in our hearts. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.